the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. You were sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cut deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. It's Wednesday, and you're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, life questions, anything and everything that's on your heart. I will do the best that I can. All you have to do is call. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877 877- 630-KSLR, numerically that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app and send in your question. And if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Uh, There'll be one banner, it says call now and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer, who is always excited to take your questions. One more time for our main number, it's 340-9585. I get to teach Isaiah chapter, part of 42 and all of 43 tonight uh, in our Wednesday midweek Old Testament study. Uh, And then, of course, because it's uh, tomorrow is going to be Thursday, Paula will be live in studio with us on the program. So, ladies, that's a day especially set aside for you. If you have any questions or need any encouragement, Paula will be here. And I, as of now, have no idea what she's going to talk about. We'll find out together. Let me get to some questions that have been sent while we await your phone calls. Uh, My first question comes from Malcolm. And he wants to know, what is your opinion on once saved, always saved? Malcolm, this is a question that I get a lot. Um, And rather than just sort of beat the same old argument. Let me say this, and I'll be as specific as I can in a moment, but um, the one thing I know for sure is that God wants you to feel secure. Apostle Paul said that he who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. And so often, I think, Malcolm, what we do is we take the approach that, okay, God began the work, but I have to be faithful to complete it. No, he'll be faithful to complete it. He is faithful when we are faithless. And so the work of salvation, having been a free gift to us, comes with no strings attached. And I say all the time on this program, Malcolm, that if you've met my Jesus, you change. And if you're walking with my Jesus, Jesus said it this way, if you abide in me, I will abide in you. If you're walking with my Jesus, then you have absolutely no doubt about your eternal security. Now the question is, what about all of these people that we see that once professed Christ and now they're not, now they're living these ungodly lives and doing whatever they want? Um, Malcolm, none of those people were ever really saved. You see, a profession of faith can't just be one that comes from our lips. It's got to be one that comes from our heart. By the way, that's why the Apostle Paul in Romans 10 says that 
that if we believe in our heart and confess with our lips, that there's a different level of believing. Believing means I accept, I understand, I acquiesce to all of the difficulties. I understand that Jesus died for my sins. I understand that if I accept him as Lord and Savior, then he's in charge of my life. And that's what happens when you really, really meet Jesus. You know, the fact that we call him Lord is a lie if we're not doing what he says. And I think what we have to do is wrestle with the fact that there are a lot of people who make false professions of faith. You know, when somebody enters an altar call and gets baptized, are those the two works that ensure salvation? Or is the, the evidence of a saved life a changed life? You see, we either serve a God who transforms us or we don't. And if we aren't transformed, and I don't mean completely God will change us as fast as we let him, but the truth is, if you've met Jesus, you're different. Then, as I said a moment ago, Malcolm, if you walk with Jesus, you abide in him, you have no questions about your salvation. Now, here's, I think, the key verse. I think the definitive verse in the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14 says that God gave us, Christians, his Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Now, I often say when I get this question, Malcolm, that if I guarantee your salvation, well, that guarantee is only as good as my guarantee. And in this case, my guarantee is not very good. But fortunately, I'm not the one who's guaranteeing your salvation. God guaranteed it. Not only did he guarantee it, but he sort of gave you down payment. That's what the word deposit means. It's sort of like earnest money in a, in a, 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 real, a real estate transaction. You, you put down money and you confirm the seriousness of your intent. Well, it's God who gave you that down payment. He's the one who made the deposit into your heart. And then he's the one who guarantees that we're his. And I think we've just got to be a little more realistic about those people about those people who say, well, I was a Christian for a while, but I'm just not anymore. I don't believe it. Um, if God guaranteed it, and they really were a Christian, then they still are. problem, of course, that we have is that we want to take what people say as the gospel truth. So, Malcolm, uh, I'm secure in my salvation. I told the church uh, in a Bible study that I did recently that that uh, I've been saved for 28 years. I've never had a single moment's doubt about my security in Christ. Not a single moment's doubt. And if... I also told them that I'm pretty sure about Paula. <laughs> but the rest of it is between you and the Lord. And I've never wanted to lose my salvation. In fact, my pastor used to respond to this question when somebody said, can you lose your salvation? He'd say, well, I don't want to. So I'm a big believer in the eternal security of the saints. I also think, Malcolm, on the other side of this argument, that most of those who use Hebrews, especially chapter 6, those who use Hebrews as proof text that you can lose your salvation, don't understand the book of Hebrews at all. I find Hebrews to be one of the most security appealing books in all of the New Testament. And yet it terrifies some people. Let me say one other thing about this, Malcolm. Um, I think our Bible is written purposely to make people who are living in willful sin doubt their salvation. I mean, when somebody says to me, and they're living in sin, and I know it, and that's the reason we're talking, they say to me, well, 
Well, I'm a Christian. I would, I would say to them, well, what makes you think you are? And I'll open my Bible to Galatians chapter 5 or 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And I will show them that the behavior that you're talking about is listed right here. They'll look at it and say, okay, it is. Well, it says people who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I asked them to explain that. I wanted to scare them. And I believe our Bible is written in such a way that the Christian who is committed to living in sin, not the, not the occasional fall, not the Christian who battles his flesh or her flesh, not the Christian who falls into the same sin occasionally because they lose the battle and they feel terrible about it. I'm not talking about those. But any professing Christian who willfully sins and thinks nothing of it, well, that's somebody who's never met the real Jesus. And I think, Malcolm, it's really important to understand that. So here's what I know, because God wouldn't have you be concerned about other people's salvation, Malcolm. God's not interested in the theological argument or the debate. God would ask you this, Malcolm, are you secure in your salvation? And if the answer to that question is no, I want you to imagine for a moment, look on our God's face. Jesus, who still bears the scars of our salvation in heaven. Can you imagine what it would be like for him to look at you and say, why don't you trust me? What have I done that causes you not to believe the promises I've made? Those are questions I think that we all have to answer. So Malcolm, be sure about the security of your soul. And don't worry so much about debating with other people. I find it's a useless argument. But I can tell you firsthand, the absolute joy and freedom of knowing for sure that when I take my last breath on this planet, I'm going to be in heaven with Jesus. There's nothing that makes me more comfortable than that. So Malcolm, I hope that answers your question. Here is a question from Katie. Katie says, is it okay if women wear pants or shorts to church? Of course it is. Of course it is, Katie. I don't know what kind of church background you have. I know there are some that believe women shouldn't wear pants or women shouldn't wear shorts. It's 100 degrees today here in San Antonio, Texas. We have a church service tonight. There will be a bunch of people, men and women, who are wearing shorts, and we're fine with that. If I didn't feel so awkward preaching in them, I would. Um, But of course it is. And uh, I think the Lord is much more concerned, Katie, with uh, the condition of your heart. I always like to tell our church to to spend more time dressing their heart for church than they do their body. And I don't think God has got angels with a legal pad and a pen in heaven saying, okay, I want you to take note of who's wearing a tie or who's wearing a suit or who's wearing shorts. Or I just think he's just thrilled, delighted that you're in church. So, Katie, it is perfectly fine if you wear pants or shorts. Church, just make sure that your heart is right before God. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here's a question from CJ. CJ says, I don't think I have any spiritual gifts. How can you know if you do and what they might be? Well, CJ, the first thing is that we know from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that God gives spiritual gifts to every believer. So you have at least one spiritual gift. Now, I often think, CJ, that um, when God gives us a gift at the beginning of our walk, maybe we're new Christians, um, I think as we exercise that gift faithfully, as we're walking in obedience with the Lord, uh, I think then he gives us other gifts. I don't think there are one-gift Christians, except those Christians aren't really faithful with one gift that they've been given. I've seen people in our church over the years, CJ, who I thought were maybe one-gift Christians, and then as they were obedient, God abundantly bestowed uh, gifts of the Spirit upon him. So um, you do have 
at least one spiritual gift. If you'll be in your Bible, if you'll seek the Lord in prayer, you'll make it clear what that gift is. Now, how can you know what that gift might be? Uh, I think it'll come quite naturally. See, Jane, by that I don't mean natural talents. Here's what I tell people here at church to do. If you don't know what God's called you to do, find something to do. As Christians, we're to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. That means every time we come to church, our position ought to be, Lord, um, how can I be used tonight? How can I be used today at church? Uh, put somebody in front of me, Lord, who needs prayer. Put somebody in front of me who who I might be able to minister to or I might be able to serve. I might just be able to talk to and love on him a little bit. And I think if you do that, and then in your church, CJ, if you'll get involved in some sort of ministry, I'll just give you one example. It's the example I typically use, but it could be any ministry in the church. When somebody comes in, they're new to Calvary Chapel, they don't know what to do, I always offer two suggestions. One, we have a cleaning ministry here that really, really is an important ministry. We have five services a week. Um, and that, that doesn't count the smaller service, the men's, women's, and youth Bible studies during the week or the ladies' Bible studies on Thursdays. But just, just the main services, we have five of them. And the place gets really dirty. It needs to be cleaned up. And when somebody says, the other one, by the way, is I, I, I invite them to join in the usher ministry. We have a really, really great couple that that uh, heads up our usher ministry team. And uh, when I send people to them, uh, they put them to work. And you see, then they get involved with people. They can't avoid people. They get involved with people. And when they're involved, uh, greeting people, getting to know names, um, the gifts of the Spirit are going to flow. The man and the woman that comes and cleans after this radio program, because we have church tonight after this radio program, There'll be people that come in here and start cleaning the church, preparing it for tonight's service. We've had construction going on. They're putting um, sprinklers in our ceilings uh, for fire safety. And um, uh, that's a a, a really involved process. So the the workers doing it, they're cleaning up after themselves, but they make a mess. Uh, There are going to be people who are here who clean the the church, getting it ready for the people that arrive at 7 o'clock. And what happens when you do something is the Lord begins sort of taking your hand and leading you. Instead of you trying to figure out what I should do, God starts speaking to your heart, and he's the one who starts identifying your spiritual gifts. And then, CJ, just be faithful with whatever those gifts are, and I posit that you will find yourself aware of, uh, in pretty short order, that you have a lot more than one spiritual gift. Just be faithful. Let me say one other thing about spiritual gifts, and this is just uh, um, one of my one of the things I have difficulty with. So many churches um, that they use personality tests, psychology based tests, to determine what your spiritual gifting is. Those tests do nothing more than identify what your natural talents are. And it's easy to say somebody fills out a questionnaire, oh yeah, your, your gift is giving. Amazing how many people have the gift of giving who take those tests. Or your gift um, might be, uh, you, you can build things. Or you can do those kind of things around the church. And while it's true, God will use your natural talents. God gets the most glory when you're doing something that you're not naturally gifted at. I mean, I'm going to teach tonight. That's a spiritual gift that I have. But can you imagine if this voice stood behind the microphone and started to sing? Instead of everybody in the church clearing out, they started saying, wow, what a beautiful voice. Now that would give God glory because that would be a miracle. So forget the natural ways, the worldly ways of determining what your spiritual gifts might be. And instead, CJ, just be faithful with what you've got and know because the Word says it. Not for any other reason. You don't have to know what it is, but God has given you a spiritual gift. At least one. Let's go to the phones. We've got um, 
Federico on line one from San Antonio. Federico, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Gloria a Dios, Benaventurado. Pastor, I got a question. That, okay. that means glory to God, blessed of the Lord. Anyway, you know, Pastor, Federico, when you, when, when you said that, my, my producer who speaks Spanish, he told me before you did, so. <laughs> <laughs> he's got to cheese spirit filled, that's why. <laughs> that's right. That's <laughs> right. I'm calling because in several of the letters that Paul wrote, towards the end, towards the final greetings or final salutations, he mentions greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, mm-hmm. today we have a tradition of taking hands. What do you think of the holy kiss? Was that, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I took it the hands pastor this, this week, and I said, in Spanish, osculo santo. And he looks at me like taken aback, like, <laughs> that doesn't look proper. <laughs> Is that my cheese or... <laughs> Oh, another thing, I, I, I just called somebody to the wrong, I just called the wrong place with this question and left it on the voicemail. <laughs> so someone else is going to hear about it. <laughs> and, okay. and I'll hang up and listen, Pastor. Thank you, Federico. Federico's called a few times um, um, recently, and, and uh, he's, he's got such a great heart and great spirit. He's a guy that I would really like to have a chance to give a holy kiss to. Federico, a couple of things. Um, let me say this. I, I'm not a handshaker. I'm a hugger, and I'm not a handshaker for a couple reasons. It's it's. Uh, now I'm not a germaphobe, but but um, you know, colds get passed around, and I need my voice. And when I get a cold, I don't have a voice. So uh, I I much prefer hugging. Now, when you ask, what about a holy kiss? I can promise you that there was a whole lot of people who come to my church who started giggling. Because they will see a lot of times that when I'm hugging somebody, I'll give him, in, in most cases, but, but him or her, a kiss on the cheek, and they'll give me a kiss back. I have men in my church who give me a quick pecks on the lips. I mean, they're my sons. And people think that's so weird. It's not weird at all. Now, the holy kiss, remember, this is a, an Eastern culture. The Bible is written in... And what we see today, you, you can see it if you go to a, uh, see something, a state dinner, a formal dinner uh, in Europe or Eastern Europe or in, in some other places. Um, when people greet, they will give a, a little quick peck on one side of the cheek, on the other side of the cheek, and then back on the other side of the cheek. Well, the holy kiss is, is a reference to that kind of greeting. It's, it's a greeting that says kisses from the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so that's why they go from one side of the cheek to the other and then back to the first side. And, and uh, that's still a custom uh, in many places all over the world. Uh, in my particular case, um, um, the people here at Calvary Chapel are really my kids. Unlike the church dad and church grandpa for so many. And so many, Federico, don't have um, good father figures at home or they don't have a mother and a father who are together. Um, so many women have had, uh, you, you've heard when Paula uh, is here, people will call her Mama Paula. Everybody, it doesn't seem to matter how old they are, they call, call her Mama Paula. And, and it's because there's a relationship there that's based. We, we've got equity. These people know we love them and and, and they love us in response. So there's nothing at all unusual. If I were to walk into a room uh, with my two adult sons, 46 and 44 years of age, uh, we would kiss one another on the lips. It's, they're my kids. They love me, and I love them. And, and I think that family relationship is one of the real benefits that we have in church. And I realize we're not blood family, but we're born-again blood family. And in many, many, many cases, Federico, that's a closer, more intimate relationship than anybody has at home with their blood families. And I think we're built for that kind of affection. So uh, that's what the Holy Kiss was all about. Um, you'd see it alive and well. We don't do it three times cheek to cheek to cheek. Uh, we're Western in, in our cultural. Um, 
orientation. So um, it, it's just, uh, they know that I love them. They know, they know that I love them. And uh, that's a good thing. One thing I always do, and Federico, this is something that um, I, I instinctively, a hugger, I tell people, look, I'm a hugger. When they want to, they stick their hand out, say, look, I'm a hugger. But I'll ask, is that okay? And if they say no, or if they keep the hand stuck out, then I'll shake the hand. But um, um, I, I want him to know that there is um, a different kind of love, a different level of love that's available here at Calvary Chapel. I think this is more important than most people realize. It's weird. I can't tell you how many, especially men, are in our church when I started to hug them when they first got here, they thought it was just the weirdest thing at all. Now, they're the ones who are looking for me to find me so that they can give me these big old bear hugs. I'm not a tall person, and so some of these guys just kind of swallow me when they wrap their arms around me. But the idea is they're demonstrating the love of God, as do we. Great question, Federico. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. We'll be back on the other side of the break. See you in two minutes. Back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our program. We've got 30 minutes left for your calls at 340-9585. Let's go to San Antonio now and talk with Jeff on line one. Jeff, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Pastor Ron, how you doing? I'm doing well, Jeff. Good to hear from you. Yes, sir. I've talked to you a few times. I've talked with you and Paula, too, and I I just deeply appreciate what you do. I wish there were more pastors that had the kind of uh, uh, compassion for for believers to talk like you do. And um, I, I want to I make a little confession to you. It'll make you laugh, but... Um, <laughs> Uh, I serve in the Methodist Church, and so I've I've heard you opinionate sometimes about different denominations, and I just want to tell you that I stand with you doctrinally in 99% of what you say. Um, I'm there because God called me to serve in this particular congregation, and I'm really struggling with, like, the impasse that the denomination is having right now over the LBGTQA issue and how many, many churches are um, just kind of succumbing to to that. And I'm not really sure where God is going to be leading me. But, um, so when I call you next time, I'll, I'll just say it's Jeff the Methodist. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I, I wanted to ask you, I wanted to ask you in, in your, with your minimal wisdom, and love um, talk about something that I think a lot of Christians probably don't get right away when they don't have solid biblical teaching. I was saved about the same time you were. It was like, I was saved around 1992. And I came from a, let's try everything, kind of a religious cuisine art of uh, experiences from Unitarianism to Buddhism to I was even baptized Mormon when I was 18 and quickly left that when I was uh, told to be quiet during discipleship classes and not ask certain questions. Found out on my own. Uh, and I came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, received him into my heart. And my life, you know, obviously, as you say, you know, not just lips, but your heart and the evidence of a transformed life that started to happen. However, my first 10 years or so, um, I, I didn't have, there were fewer solid, true practicing believers around me than those that had one foot in the world and another foot really you know, in the gospel. And so what I would learn about 10 years later was that I, I had no discernment. Mm-hmm. I really did not know how to discern from my own life and found out that 
if I was in in lay leadership that I really shouldn't have been there. And then a couple of pastors in the church I went to that was a fairly affluent church uh, fell from grace, had affairs, and are, are claiming to be apostate now. And it's just amazing you know, that, I'm, that I've survived that and I still serve as a lay leader after some of the things I saw. But, but God put me into the desert, and one of the reasons that I came to Texas was actually for a desert experience, not here in San Antonio. But anyway, the past 10 years of my life have been very fruitful. And um, I really started to study the Old Testament in a way that I never studied it before. And uh, just have learned that I can't you know, live without the whole book. Uh, <laughs> but but the discern- discernment is, is a is really with with my friends and, and new Christians that I meet is something that I, I try to talk to them about. And, you know, as the, as the devil prowls around like a lion ready to devour us, uh, and Paul talks so much about discernment, but a lot of, a lot of Christians don't even know what discernment means. I ask them, what does yeah. it mean to be discerning in your faith? How, do, how are we supposed to react? To, to the world, and so are you sharing? Are you sharing your faith? Are you telling them about Jesus? I and mean, that's what, above everything else, what we should do. So I'll take your, I'll take your wisdom off off the phone, and I would just Thank like you, to Jeff. hear you talk about discernment. Thank and you, love Jeff. you, Pastor. Very, Thank you. Thank you, Jeff. God bless you, man. Uh, it's very kind of you to, to 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 say those things at the beginning of the call. I appreciate it. Um. A couple of things, you know, Jeff, I, I, Paula would resonate a great deal with you. Uh, she was saved for 13 years before I got saved. She prayed for me for 13 years. Uh, and yet she will tell you that she was a baby Christian with no discernment at all. And, and part of the reason why is because there was no Bible in our home. There was no teaching. Um, you know, she went to churches, just whatever somebody suggested. She didn't know a good one from a bad one. Um, Discernment is something that is developed over over a period of time, and uh, it's really important that we understand that there is no discernment. There's no ability to discern apart from the Word of God. Uh, I can't stress that enough. Um, we are transformed, Romans 12 says, by the renewing of our minds, and the only way we can make our minds new is in the Word of God. And, um, you know, discernment is as simple as it's a gift of the Holy Spirit, uh, not discernment ministries. I'm not talking about that, but individuals uh, have been given the ability and the gift to discern. Uh, but we've got to invest in that gift. And the way we invest, when you said your life has been very fruitful for the last 10 years, well, part of it is because you've understood the value of the whole book. You've seen the consistency of God. I mean, think about the consistency of the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, a Bible written by 40 different authors over a period of a time of about 1,500 years, a book that is completely internally consistent, a book that, that unlike any other, I'm going to talk about this a little bit tonight, a book like unlike any other that tells the future and does so with 100% accuracy. And see, discernment comes from putting the word in. Uh, when when David wrote, I, I, I've hidden your word in my heart so that I will not sin against you. Uh, David also wrote that that your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. So it's the word, the word, the word. And the minute that we throw away the Bible, the minute that we don't dig into the Bible, then our mind is going to be conformed to the patterns of the schemes of this world. And discernment, Jeff, is really nothing more than having that renewed mind, that new thinking that is accomplished only one place, by the Holy Spirit working through the Word of God. And if we will invest in that Bible, then we will have discernment. It's just that simple. Now, one of the reasons, and let me say this, I admire you. I will pray for you now that I know you are at a Methodist church. Uh, because the reason that there's no discernment 
the reason that their the course of miracles is so big in the United Methodist Church and 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 they do so many worldly ungodly things the reason they're even struggling with this issue of of gay marriage and 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 homosexuality and uh, transgenderism all the other things it's because they threw the Bible away a long time ago. And when you throw the Bible away, you've got... I, I always imagine Charles Wesley turning over in his grave. Now he's with Jesus, but you understand the figure of speech. Uh, Charles Wesley was a man who was as direct as you could. God did this marvelous uh, revival through Charles Wesley, or, or John Wesley and his brother Charles. Um, Charles Wesley is saying more songs, wrote more songs than probably any other hymn writer. Uh, John Wesley preached more times on horseback. He would preach sometimes as much as 10, 11, 12 times a day. And he would go from little place to little place to little place on horseback, declaring the word of God. And like a lot of movements, founder dies, and the people drift away. And that's why you are in a place where people, the pastors, are are uh, falling into sin, doing terrible things. They, they're not born again. I have met in my city Methodist pastors who aren't born again by their own admission. And it's, it's a real tragedy. So uh, if God's called you to stay there, then he's called you to stand firm. You need to be a voice for what's right. You need to be a voice that declares this is wrong. You need to be someone that the other people in that church can come to for the right answers. And if you think about it, Jeff, that obligates you to know the word. I love that you said if you're sharing your faith, you know, uh, you're you're practicing. Or um, the Apostle Paul wrote to Philemon. He said that I pray that you'll be active in sharing your faith so that you'll have a full understanding of every good thing that we have in Christ. That's obedience. And uh, that's the key. Discernment is simple. Uh, it's, it's a gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, when you said that you went to churches, the Mormon church, you said, you know, that didn't last long. It's because even then God, who had marked you out for himself, was giving you discernment. You didn't understand it that way, but was giving you discernment. I'll make one more comment on this, Jeff, and then, um, and I want to apply my own life, how this gift of discernment worked and, and why I take no credit at all uh, for what I know or, or, or however God has been able to use me. Um, when I first got saved, a good friend of mine uh, Christian brought me a, a, a new Bible, King James Bible, genuine leather, smelled the way you expect a Bible to smell. It was just great. Put my name on the outside of the Bible. And I took it to work. I was so proud of it. Put it on my desk. And I really did try to open it. And the spiritual warfare was so strong that I would get almost nauseous when I tried to read it. And so I'd open it and try and then put it down and open it and try and put it down. This struggle went on for six months. But one day I just said, Lord, I've got to know your word. So I'm going to open your Bible. Give me the ability to concentrate, to focus. I want to hear from you. And I just got it. Now, that doesn't mean I understand everything. I'm not trying to, to, to make that claim. But I understood that this Bible was then my owner's manual. And when I needed to know what to do, the Bible had the answer. I needed to know for sure, Jeff, that any question, any problem was in that Bible. And I really, I mean, I worked really hard. I, I, I needed to prove to myself that the Bible really was the Word of God, not just a book written by men. I spent two and a half months really, really digging in with everything that I had. It was the mission of my life. And one day, I was sitting in a very, very liberal school of theology, Claremont School of Theology in Claremont, California, with a great library and had a lot of resources. 
um, a big room that I could I could sit in with good lighting and the, a, a table. And I, I I remember just really wrestling with the Lord over this idea of is this your word? I've got to know. I've got to know. And that afternoon, every question seemed to get answered. And then it was as if didn't happen really, but it was as if. Jesus was sitting in that room with me at the table. Sort of had his arms folded, kind of leaning back in his chair. And he just asked me this question, are you convinced yet? And I had to say, Lord, I'm convinced. This is your word. I've never had a moment's doubt since that time. And that's when my life changed forever, Jeff. Well, that's what discernment is all about. Wonderful question. I could talk about that for hours and hours. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. How am I doing on time here? Okay. Uh, I asked that question because Frankie asked me a question personally. Pastor Ron, how did you get saved? Uh, Frankie, I, I listening to Jeff just a moment ago. Uh, um, you know, our salvation experience is different for everybody. Jeff was on a search and he, he tried everything and didn't work. I tried nothing. I wasn't looking to get saved. Um, my life got so desperate. And now remember, um, if you've listened to this program before, uh, I was a very successful businessman. I was wealthy, um, materially had everything that I thought I would ever need. I thought money was the end all, the be all. And yet I was miserable and desperate and things kept getting harder and harder and harder and uh, when I got saved, Frankie, I was running away from home. Um, I couldn't face my wife. I couldn't face my boys with the terrible things that I'd done. My pride was such that I really believed that it was easier for me to run away than to, than to be honest with them about the horrible things that I'd done. So I was running away. Um, I got only a block and a half away. And Jesus sort of tripped me. And I literally fell down on a street, a public street in Upland, California. And I, I knew I was lost. Everything, I, it was over. And I cried out. Because the only Jesus I knew, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. The only Jesus I knew was the one that Paula had shown me was real over all those years. The one that I resisted so much. And I cried out for Paula's Jesus. I said, Paula's Jesus, if you're real, I need you. And he was right there, Frankie. He picked my, took my hand, picked me up. Not in a physical sense, you understand. But at that moment, I knew I was going to be okay. Didn't know how. I, my life was a mess. There were people looking for me. But I knew I was going to be okay. I knew two other things. I knew that if Jesus gave me his hand, I was saved. I was his. I was going to heaven. Couldn't explain it, but I was going to heaven. Didn't even know why he'd want me in heaven, but I knew I was going. The second thing I knew, for sure, was that if this man that I just met had the authority to forgive me of my sins, then he now was the authority in my life. And really from that moment, um, I haven't taken a step backwards. I've made some terrible decisions and terrible mistakes, Frankie, but... God saved me for such a time as this. And um, the, the, the most comforting thing imaginable is that God had this perfect will for me to walk in. And as long as I stayed in that place, then I couldn't take a bad step. I couldn't miss what God had for me. So my salvation experience was, uh, I, I told, uh, I think Jeff earlier that, that uh, Paula prayed for me for 13 years. Uh, and as a result of praying for me all those years, um, I her prayers were answered, and we've been walking together for 28 years following Jesus. She's been walking with the Lord for 13 years longer than that. But um, I just think it's really... God chased me down. I think that's the best way to answer the question. Thank you for the question. My my entire my whole um, testimony 
uh, is on our website, calvarysa.com, if you want to hear it. I think it's pretty easy to navigate and find on the website. So calvarysa.com. And I think I've got two testimonies there. One is how I came to to uh, to Christ, and the other is what God has done since we got here in San Antonio. And, and at the risk of sounding a little full of myself, um, that's really not my heart here, um, but I think they're both worth the time to listen to. So thanks for the question. 340-9585. Casey says, I'm a pastor being considered for a pastoral pastorate in two and maybe three churches. How can I know which is the best fit for me? Casey, I've never been asked this question by another pastor. Now, I've we've planted a lot of churches and ordained pastors, and they've asked that question, but never sort of in a job search. Uh, that's sort of not the Calvary Chapel way. Um, but uh, um, here's what I would say. Um, you have to be sure that the doctrine is biblical. Uh, you, you don't want to take a, an attractive job um, just because somebody wants to offer it to you. And you, you're, you, you know, we, we pastors, I got to do something. Uh, don't rush. Wait, wait till you know it's the Lord. One of the things that you can know for sure, if it's Jesus who's leading you there, uh, the, their doctrinal positions will be, will be biblical. Will be biblical. That's very important. Make sure, and I'm speaking as a pastor, okay? Make sure that you're not a puppet. By that I mean you're not a hireling. Uh, if, if there is a board of directors or a board of elders who can hire you, um, well, then they can eventually fire you if that's the case. And, um, you know, you want to be sure uh, with a very candid conversation uh, with, with whoever it is that's on the hiring board, uh, what, what are my levels of authority? Um, what am I going to be able to do in terms of teaching? I want to teach through the Bible. That's the other thing. If they won't let you teach the Bible, I mean through it, not just preach it, but teach it. Um, um, my opinion would be that that's not uh, a good fit. A style has to be a fit. Um, you know, are you going to be able to go in and, and, um, and, and make your church a reflection of you and your leadership? Um, I didn't, I wasn't raised in church. And uh, so for me to walk into church that people are picking up hymnals and, and singing a cappella to a music leader who's conducting the, the, the audience, um, that wouldn't fit me. It just wouldn't fit me. Um, you know what your personality is. You know the kind of style uh, that you have. Um, just make sure it's a style fit, a comfortable style fit. There's nothing wrong with those other kind of places. It just wouldn't be a fit for me. Um, but So be really honest and be really candid and expect the same honesty and, and the same candid discussions coming the other way. And then don't rush. Prayerfully make the decision. Here's the most important thing I'm going to say. Make sure your wife has prayed through it as well. Make sure you're on one accord, that you're in agreement, that this is where the Lord is going to take you. It's an, it, it can be a difficult job. If you don't have the love and the support of the people, it can be a really painful, heartbreaking job. It can be a really difficult job for a wife because the pastor's wife is often held to a standard that is unreasonable and fair. So make sure that you're in agreement. And the way I always do it with Paula, it doesn't matter what decision, if it's an important decision, Paula, this is what I think the Lord is telling me to do, but I want to know from you what you think the Lord is saying to you. And in decisions like this, Casey, you need to be in agreement because when the difficult times come, if one of you or the other isn't sure, the devil is going to exploit that. And I can honestly tell you, Paul and I have been here now for 24 and a half years. I can honestly say to you that we wouldn't have made it six months here 
if Paula didn't hear from the Lord herself, or if I would have dragged Paula here and said, well, I know this, is what God's called me to do, Paula would have come. But we wouldn't have lasted. Our marriage may not have lasted. But she knew, I knew, and we knew that once we got here, there was no turning back. So, Casey, I hope that helps. I, 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 I hope and pray that you make the right choice. And uh, being a pastor is a great, great, great job. Wonderful calling. We are blessed. We get to do things that other people don't get to do. Um, here is a question from... Here's one I can do. we got less than two minutes. Anonymous. I've been reading a website from a prophet. I want to hear from God, but there's something about this that feels a little uneasy. I can tell you what feels a little uneasy, Anonymous. There are no prophets today. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. Um, The New Testament church was built on the foundation. The Greek is very clear. A foundation already laid. And then the other gifts from Ephesians chapter 4 are the gifts that are added onto that foundation. The church is being built. But the foundation, the apostles and the prophets, Jesus himself, the chief cornerstone, that's the foundation already laid. So there is no prophet. Please, 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 please don't let somebody convince you that they are a prophet and that they speak for God. That's the source of your uneasement. Federico had a question about discernment. uh, Or that was Jeff had the question about discernment and uh, anonymous. Um, That's discernment. That, That uneasy feeling. It's just something that's not right. Stay with the internet and open your Bible. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. Paula will be live in studio with me on the program tomorrow. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock, AM 6.30, The Word. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.